right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We could be nearing a decision on KU's next football coach. We could also be a ways out, though. Hedge and or could we be in between? Any, yeah, either one. Okay. Either one. They're both, both on the table at this point. I like to hedge my bets, so... You know, it can't be held against me if and when I'm wrong. Started last night with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN and then Dennis Dodd of CBS sort of confirmed his reporting that Kansas has sort of zeroed in on four candidates, four favorites. I would think these are the four guys that are still alive is probably the best way of putting it. Like actually alive? Yeah, everybody is that else. the first qualification? Yeah, everybody else has been killed off like a game of Clue. Like Kyle Shanahan said. You can't guarantee that anyone's going to be alive on Sunday, including anybody interested in KU's job. I wish that, I wish Travis Goff would follow that lead and say, can you confirm that there'll be a new head coach by Saturday? Because I can't even confirm that they're going to be alive on Saturday. What? The final four, according to Dodd and Rittenberg, are Jeff Munkin of Army, Lance Leipold of Buffalo, Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator for Texas A&M, and Skip Holtz, the head coach for Louisiana Tech. Munkin, Leipold, not surprises. Those have been names that have been circulating ever since this job became available last month. Elko and and Holtz. Holtz is a guy whose name popped up, but I don't think anybody ever really took it seriously as, okay, this guy is going to get the job over those other two. And then Elko is is probably the biggest surprise only because he's the the least known of the four. And honestly, like if his name wasn't Skip Holtz, he, Skip Holtz would be pretty unknown as well. I mean, he's bounced around from job to job uh, over the past decade or so, but Yeah, I think the only thing if his name you was Mike Smith, say, you wouldn't know anything about. Yeah, him. the only thing you need to say about Skip Holtz as a candidate here is in what regard in the regard that he's... Uh, no, it's there is no regard. You don't think he's a candidate? There's no, no, I don't. Then why would he be in the final four? Why would he be in this uh, in this list of finalists? Got a good agent? I don't know. I refuse... Okay, maybe this is just be, me being optimistic about KU. I refuse to believe that KU would shoot themselves in the foot again. Uh, maybe, I don't know. He goes to a lot of bowl games. He already made the jump before. This would be a retread hire, which is what you've done with Charlie Wise. Jump. He may. I mean, I, I guess it's a small jump, but didn't he go from Louisiana Tech to USF to begin with? No, he's at Louisiana Tech now. Okay. He went from East Carolina. That's what I was thinking. To USF. South Florida, and that did not work. They won the Meineke Care. That was the Care South Bowl. Florida team that had it rolling. That was the same year that KU won the Orange Bowl that 2008 season. South Florida was awesome. At one point, South Florida, I think, ended up in the top five. Had a really good year, but then, you know, they fell off, and uh, they had a similar coaching issue 
where they had to fire their guy. They bring in Holtz, and it kind of falls off. Okay, let me let me counter that with this argument. He's been at Louisiana Tech since 2013. So that's eight seasons. First year went four and eight. Been to a bowl game every year since. Six and one in bowl games at Louisiana Tech. You go to a bowl game. If you make it to a bowl game, Skip Holt's going to get you that win. So can Skip Holtz get Kansas to a bowl game? If he gets them there, they're going to win. The question for Skip Holtz, same question for Lance Leipold, same question for Jeff Munkin, is it's kind of like the questions that are asked of these quarterbacks like Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow last year, where you go from being the best at one of the best programs, winning 10, 11, 12, 13 games every year, dominating your opponents, to first year in the league on a bad team, you lose as many games in year one as you did your entire time in college over three years. That's kind of what you ask of these coaches is you say, okay, you're used to winning a lot of games, going to bowl games every single year. What's it going to be like making the jump to a team that's probably going to win one or two games? And it's not going to be a quick two, three-year turnaround. Like it's probably going to take you three, four, five years to get it turned around. Are you ready for the fact that you're going to have to answer a lot of questions after a lot of losses when you take this yeah. job? So we, we just we just got a caller, and uh, I forgot to get his name. but um, Good job. He, I know. Great job by me. Uh, he, he brought up a point that I think kind of correlates with what you're saying there. He didn't want to come on and share it? Or did you tell him to no, peel I, off? No, I think I accidentally just put the phone down. and didn't You hung up it. on this guy? I, it was an accident. So he ran, didn't even get his name. So, so, so he ran this. I know. He ran this take by you. It was an accident. You said, great, let, let me bring you on. <laughs> you hung up on him, and now you're going to steal his take. I know. It was, a, it was an accident. And um, you can't even credit well, no, him. No, no. So what he was saying is he was wondering why has Emmett Jones disappeared from the fray here, and uh, he said, why would you go after some of these guys who have mediocre coaching records? Um so I, I don't know if you want to take it from there, but I, I would respond one way as, as regard to the records. Like, if, you, if you're looking at what these guys have done at their schools and you see that Lance Leipold is only a couple of games over 500 or something, consider something real quick. If Lance Leipold or Jeff Munkin or whoever came into Kansas, the first year he went 2-10, and 10, you know, we'd be like, okay, that makes sense. Second year he goes 3-9. and nine. We'd be like, yeah, that makes sense too. Let's say after that his next three years... He goes eight and four all three years. So his first five years, he would have three eight-win seasons. We'd be ecstatic. It would be, you know, pandemonium. It'd be, oh my gosh, this is the best hire you could have ever made at Kansas. His record would be 29 and 31. You have to look at the context, how the record got there. You can't just say, oh, well, look at Lance Leipold and, and Jeff Munkin, their records at Army and Buffalo. It's only two games over 500 or six games over 500. Look at the context. They took over a bad program. You're going to inflict some early losses. And like I showed with that number, you can inflict early losses, have a bunch of great seasons, and those early years just tank your overall record. Yeah, I don't get too caught up in that. Like, I, I it annoys the hell out of me when people start, like, doing the resume comparisons about, well, this guy's got a slightly higher, he's got a, a .56 winning percentage, and this guy's got a .59. Yeah. It's obvious. So, but I do think okay. In regards to why Emmett Jones wouldn't really be a candidate anymore, 
do you think there is something to the idea? Like you've you've brought this up before. What's changed? You know, Jeff Munkin. This is a name that we had heard the last time KU was hiring. Or do you think it is too risky to wait until the offseason when, you know, like Buffalo, for instance. Buffalo, no, 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 I don't. I don't. Buffalo I've heard, has 18 of their 22 starters back. I've so. heard people throw that out there that like, oh, well, now you're going to be competing against other. I don't care about that. Mm-hmm. I don't. I really don't. Um, Jeff Munkin was interested the last time this job came up. He's interested again. He would be interested the third time around. I feel confident about that. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I, I just don't. The reason why Emma Jones is fading in this discussion or has faded in this discussion, it's very simple, man. And this is coming from someone who said I thought that he should be given the job throughout the season. But now that I, I don't... When I, when I say things like that, and if, if, if people disagree with me, you got to understand that I'm just saying that because that's what I would do. I don't think it's damning. I don't think you're screwing yourself by not doing that. It's just what I would do. But the reason he's faded is very obvious. You know the answer already. Because he's not as qualified. He's not as qualified. Look at his resume. Compare it to Jeff Munkin. Compare it to Lance Leipold. That's why. It ain't hard to figure out. Now, Dennis Dodd in his reporting did say that Munkin and Leipold are the favorites. He also said there could be a decision within the next 24 to 48 hours. I believe that as well. I do think it will be one of those two. I do think it'll be one of those two. And again, it's because look at their resumes compared to the other guys. That's why. But ultimately, the fact that you have two sitting head coaches, excuse me, three sitting head coaches, one defensive coordinator, because we haven't even really talked about Mike Elko. I don't know a ton about him. I'm going to talk to him. I talk about him with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports, who's going to join us coming up here in about half an hour. He seems to be an up-and-comer. His numbers look really good. You look across the board at what he's done uh, at Bowling Green. He was at uh, Wake Forest, I believe. He was at Notre Dame for a year. He was He's currently the, the defensive coordinator at A&M. Just really solid. Across the board, really solid. And I don't think the reason that he's a candidate is because he's a really good defensive coordinator. The reason that he's a candidate and the only non-head coach is because of two things. Because A, Travis Goff and this hiring committee looked at him and said, he may not be a sitting head coach now, but he will be soon. And I'd rather him get his first shot with us than to go get it somewhere else. And then we look back on it five years from now and you say, can you believe we had a chance to hire this guy and didn't? That's the reason why he's still a candidate. I don't think he's necessarily going to get the job, but that's why. But you also look at it and say, okay, if he's an up-and-comer, he's not a sitting head coach yet, he's still found a way to crack into this conversation with three other sitting head coaches. What separates him or what links him to the other three? Well, what could he possibly have in common? A blueprint. A plan. This is my pitch. This is what I'll do if you hire me at Kansas. Why else? Because if it were all about being a sitting head coach, then uh, he wouldn't be a candidate. But he is. So he must have had a really good interview. And in that interview, he must have had a, made a really good pitch for why he's the guy. Because this is what I'm going to do. You hire me, this is the plan to get Kansas back to relevancy in college football. That's the reason why he's still the guy. But ultimately, if he's making that pitch, it better be a lot better than everybody else's. Because it's going to be really easy to lean back on the fact that, well, these guys have proven it at multiple stops, that they can take over bad programs and turn them into good programs, and turn them into competitive ones, consistent ones. That's why it's going to be Leopold to Munkin. Do you think we get the decision this week? Mm. Do you think we get it before the spring game? 
I am of the belief that the official decision will not be made. And if it is made, I don't think that coach is on the sidelines for Saturday because, my God, what a distraction that would be to those players. If I'm those players and you make a decision on Thursday or Friday, I'm pissed because now you have overshadowed what was going to be and, you, and yeah, I get it. You can make jokes about the fact that, like, well, who's really paying any attention to the spring game anyway? It's Kansas football. And you're right. There's, But the, these kids are the ones putting in work, and now they get to go out in front of an open f- event and have fans come in and watch them. If you make a decision, if you make an announcement, a formal announcement, that you've hired a new head coach, and it's not the guy they wanted because, let's not get it twisted, they want it to be Emmett Jones, and that's not going to happen. So by default, they're already going to be a little miffed by that. And then you make it the day before the spring game or two days before the spring game? It'd probably piss me off if I was a player. Like you're, oh, That would be a Jeff Long move. That would be the ultimate Jeff Long move. Let's do it because it's a good PR move. Not really, because it's going to get minimal attention because you're still Kansas football, and now you have upset the players who were already upset by the decision. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a risk, but I I think the alternative to that is, I mean, if if you have a new coach, like, part of what the spring game is, you're trying to impress the coaching staff. You're trying to show that you should win this position battle. You should get more playing time once we come to the fall. You should be the first string or whatever it is. I would almost think you'd want that more if you knew who the new head coach was going to be. Because if you're doing this for guys that, I mean, certain coaches might not be there who are coaching the spring game, you know? So it's it's almost like, what was the point of that? So I, I, I kind of see both sides. I, I get what you're saying, but I do think there is a bit of a benefit to having the coach in place that he can come and yeah, sure, maybe he's not like calling plays and stuff, but at least like evaluate, watch from the stands. I, I don't know. It's it's the same way that when you hire a new head coach, maybe your head coach got fired or left for another job and you hire a new head coach for your bowl game and they don't participate in the actual like game planning and stuff. You usually have the interim head coach for that, but usually they're watching the game and you'll see them come up in the broadcast booth and they'll interview with the, the broadcast booth. That's kind of how I envision this, if they did that. That'd be a, a hell of an awkward moment for Emma Jones to continue coaching the spring game down on the sideline with the new guy. Yeah, but it always is, you know, you. for any interim head coach or for What any... if the new head coach came down and ripped the whistle off his neck? I'll take it from That'd here. Hey, thanks for keeping the seat warm. I'll take it for uh-huh. here. And he just starts blowing the whistle. He goes, no, 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 no. Hate everything you guys are doing. This sucks. This is all wrong. They do trial by combat. Uh-huh. It's like in... Uh, he just starts pointing to guys. He's like, yeah. Yeah, you're not... No, you're gone. You'd be screwed. You. If you had to do trial ver- of combat versus Emmett Jones, that dude's ripped. Yeah. Are any of these guys ripped? I don't think so. No, they're all just like... Kind of looks like skinny, good shape, you know? But Jeff More Munkin like runner's Army, bodies. Jeff Emmett Jones Army. is like, I can bench press, you know? I think he shows it off, too, because he's like always wearing those tight long-sleeve shirts. Yeah, why not? I had cannons like that. Cannons? That's not... That's not right. I don't think Emmett Jones. <laughs> I don't think Emmett Jones has cannons. We're going to talk more about this coaching search and if it could be coming to an end soon. My goodness. With Kevin Flaherty of Twenty Four Seven Sports, he's going to join us coming up here in about 
15 minutes. This segment's brought to you by CycleZone Power Sports. Have you seen these three-wheeled motorcycles? Not the ones that look like tricycles, but the ones with two wheels up front. Those are coming from CycleZone Power Sports in North Topeka. They don't have eight legs, but they're called spiders. It's perfect for if you want the freedom of a motorcycle but need something a little easier to handle. They're U-fit seats, heated grips, a six-speaker Bluetooth sound system, and a navigation screen. It's the perfect travel companion. Now is where I'd normally say go to CycleZone.com, but you should do yourself a favor and see these spiders in person. CycleZone Power Sports on 24 Highway in North Topeka, just west of the Goodyear plant. I'm Nick Schwartz. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's you know washing all the germs out, you want to get obviously the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's, unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations, and there are a lot of them, unlimited guest service, most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. Spring game just about... Three, four days away, and KU still looking for their new football coach. Will there be a football coach named by Saturday? Let's talk about that and more. Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, joins us now on the show. Kevin, a little under 24 hours ago, multiple reports coming out from ESPN and CBS Sports that Kansas has essentially zeroed in on four guys. Two of them not surprising because they've been names that have popped up for the entirety of this head coaching search. Lance Leipold of Buffalo and Jeff Munkin of Army. The other two names included there maybe a little bit more of a surprise. Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator for Texas A&M, and Skip Holtz, who's the head coach at Louisiana Tech. Let's start with those last two. Does the inclusion of Elko and Holtz surprise you at all, Kevin? You know, I, I would be surprised if Holtz got it. You know, he was somebody that I think was in that uh, that group of candidates that you knew were, were going to be interviewed. And, and, you know, another guy in there like Willie Fritz as well, where you were you kind of weren't sure how far, you know, they were going to go. Uh, but, but I think with him being a, a sitting head coach, and obviously he's, he's had some success. I, I would assume, based on what I've heard, that he is behind sort of the the twosome of Munkin and uh, and Leipold, and I think the the interesting thing with Elko is I think that he's been presented as kind of the upsideish guy, if you will. If you look at you know the success that Kentucky has had, you know tapping into a defensive guy like Mark Stoops, you know I, I think there's a possibility that that Elko you know, it is kind of maybe that number three guy, but holds some intrigue for those reasons because of the fact that, you know, he is a little bit younger than the other candidates. He hasn't been a head coach before. And so uh, I think that, that he likely also trails the other two, but I think I could see a path for Elko, whereas, you know, the path with Holtz, I don't think really seems to be there as much. Okay, so you just spoke to maybe what separates a guy like Elko because of what you said as him being an up-and-comer. When you look at the these four together in a grouping, is there one common denominator that you think links them together? Is there something that stands out amongst that group that maybe gives you some insight 
to what Travis Goff and this coaching or this search committee is looking for? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I think generally speaking, when you look at the guys who got interviews and, and the people who were able to make it, you know, beyond sort of the initial steps, I do think that being a sitting head coach was a huge part of what they were looking for. They weren't necessarily looking for the, the quote unquote top, you know, young coordinator or whatever else. And I know that, that Elko fits into that, you know, Kevin Kane was a guy that, that obviously went a little process and, you know, another up and coming guy who's a, who's a coordinator, but I think it, it felt throughout like they really wanted somebody who had been a head coach before, who understood what they were getting into. And I think they, in general, with the exception of Elko, they really trended that way. Uh, I do think, you know, one of the interesting things that surprised me maybe a little bit, Nick, is the lack of Big 12 ties in general. Because I think when you talk to a lot of coaches across industries, that they say is that Kansas is a wholly unique job and something that you don't necessarily really understand until, you know, you, you've seen it and you've seen it up close. And I know that one of the things that they really sold Al Bull on Mark Mangino back when they made that hire was the fact that while Mangino didn't have ties to KU per se, he coached at Kansas State for a significant period of time. And so he knew what a lot of the issues were. He coached at Oklahoma right, right after that, excuse me. And so he, he was somebody that had a very realistic picture of sort of what he was going to face at Kansas. And, and one of the things that surprised me with this process was just when you look at, at the candidates who went away and the candidates who are still there, I don't know that you really see a lot of Big 12 ties and guys who maybe, you know, heading into these interviews would be people who would have, you know, sort of that idea of what the Kansas job is is about and the challenges that they'll face. I wonder how much the regional ties really, really matter when it comes to this. Like, it, it's clear that that paid off or that that was something that uh, gave candidates a, a leg up in the AD search. But it's not that I don't think it matters. It's that can you, can you put that ahead of other priorities? Right, like you mentioned being a, a sitting head coach. If I look specifically at Leipold and Munkin, who are believed to be the two favorites in this, uh, they both share the, the same sort of resume history of taking over programs that were not doing well and had to kind of do the rebuilding process. So we can look at those similarities, and you just have to think that at some point you say, okay, well, if we add this extra caveat of having ties to the region or having ties to Kansas or the Big 12, then all of a sudden we're going to start docking guys who we're already really interested in. Sure, and it's not the most important thing. I think what it does, Nick, is it just places maybe even added weight on assistant coaching hires because you have to have somebody in that room who understands Kansas, and you have to have somebody in that room who who understands what you're facing in the Big 12, et cetera. And you can get that from your assistant. It doesn't have to be the head coach. But I do think that when you have head coaches, you know, your head coach doesn't have really any of that. I think it places even more added weight on, say, not just, you know, importing an entire staff from from where you're coming from. I, I think that it puts you into a spot where you're looking at it and you say, you know, very realistically, okay, I'm, I'm going to need some help and I'm going to need people 
who have ties to the area. I'm going to need people who understand, you know, what we're facing in the Big 12, et cetera. And, and to be fully honest with you, Nick, I, I think that one of the things that could make it potentially easier on each of these coaches is, is obviously if they retain Emmett Jones. You know, and if they wind up making that decision and saying, you know what, this guy is is a really good recruiter. He's been at Kansas. This is now his third year. He's coached in the Big 12. You have a guy like that on your staff, and that I think alleviates a lot of those concerns, as well as the fact that obviously a lot of the guys on the roster and a lot of the players, you know, really respect it. And there's there's a lot of, you know, sort of love there between him and the rest of the roster as well. Talking to Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 sports here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. When it comes to building a staff, we, we talked about this when it was just simply acquiring a, a sitting head coach. Would the timing of this complicate getting a sitting head coach? That is very clearly been answered at no, it's not, because there are sitting head coaches who seem to be pretty interested. What about the assembly of a staff, both from the perspective of the guys who are already at Kansas versus um, these coaches who are going to try and bring a staff from the school they're currently at? How do you think that plays out if and when a sitting head coach is named the new head coach at Kansas? You know, I don't think that's as big of an issue, Nick. And the reason why is because I think when you look at the way that that assistant coaching hires and and more specifically firings go in this world, you know, assistants get let go and and pushed out and leave, you know, for different reasons all the time. And, And, you know, over the course of a year. You know, some assistants get let go a couple games into a season, some right after the season, some after, you know, they help lock down a recruiting class. You know, some guys make moves later on. And so I don't think there's necessarily really a hurdle there in terms of, say, Monken or or Leipold going out and and getting the assistance that they want based on the timing. The thing that will be interesting, I think, and obviously you're not – hiring a Kansas football coach specifically for 2021. You know, you're not looking at that and saying, okay, you know, prove yourself this season. But at the same time, I, I do think one of the interesting things about it is I thought one of the reasons Kansas maybe didn't show up well against Coastal Carolina last year, in addition to the fact that Coastal Carolina was really good, but I don't know that Coastal Carolina knew that just yet, was the fact that Coastal Carolina had spring ball and Kansas did not. And when you looked at the two teams in that first game, it looked pretty apparent that one of the teams was significantly more polished than what the other looked like. And based on the time you're making the coaching hire, based on the time you're going to make the coordinator hires, the assistants, everything else, Obviously, it's not like you're going to get a chance to input any part of that system if you change it at all heading into the 2021 season. And so basically your spring is gone as far as that goes. Yes, it's great for for individual player development, et cetera. But I do think that that's maybe where you see a little bit of a detriment from, from doing the coaching hire at this time of year. But generally speaking, I don't think that this really hurts them in terms of pursuing the assistants or coordinators that that any of those head coaches would want to bring in. Okay, let's go a little bit further and examine specifically Munkin and Leipold. Let's start first with Munkin. If this this is a two-horse race, what is the the best argument for hiring Jeff Munkin over Lance Leipold? 
You know, Munkin, I think, is more, and I thought Mike Vernon really put it well, uh, Munkin is more of a CEO type. I think he's highly adjustable. You know, he, he's somebody that is, that is going to bring in assistants and, and coaches and, and sort of build the program based on, on what it needs. And I think that that ability to be variable is important. And I think that one of the things that kind of scared some people about Munkin as a candidate is, you know, hey, is this guy going to come in and run triple option? Because that's a that's a 10-year commitment, Nick. I mean, when you're talking about five years to get the roster full of your guys to run the triple option, and then if you don't make it or, or you fail or whatever else, you're looking at another five years to set your roster back to, to where it was to – to whatever the next person wants. And, and I thought it was highly encouraging, you know, talking to multiple sources through this whole thing that, that they thought that Munkin would adjust, that they wouldn't run triple option at Kansas, that it would be the sort of thing where they would look at the talent, look at what they're able to run, look at, you know, what they have access to from a recruiting standpoint, and they'd be willing and able to adjust. I, I think that's a big part of, what really um, what really sets him apart? As far as Leipold, I, I think Leipold is a really good football coach, and, and not to say that that Munkin isn't, but I think that Leipold is the type of guy that that kind of puts his fingers into the DNA of a of a football team, and, and really seems to enjoy you know watching your third string wide receiver you know improve basically over the course of of a four year period. And, and, you know, that's when you look at that, that's a trait that I think he certainly shares with Mark Mangino, who had that success as Mangino for better or worse, you know, always had his fingers in the football program and, and, you know, was quick to adjust. And and in some cases, maybe too quick to adjust, change players around things like that to try and find the best fit. But I think that that's kind of where you have the divergence between the two, and that's what makes it so fascinating to me because I do think that there is a very real difference in terms of how this program would be coached by Monk and how it would be coached by Leipold. Okay, so I know you just sort of touched on it there a little bit, but I do want to just flip the question around and see how that changes your answer, if at all. Like if, if you were coming from the standpoint sure. of now you've got to make the argument for Leipold over Munkin, where do you start? I think the the biggest thing that that you start with is the fact that that I think he he's just won so well at, at where he's been at, and you look at at what you look at what a lot of people and, and myself I would include in this what they want from Kansas football. I think a lot of people want a, a hard nosed football go out it and is competitive, and I know that that you know that sounds like not a not a huge deal, but I think when you look at how frustrating Kansas football has been over the last, you know, however long, and, you know, the the offside penalties on, you know, third and two, or, you know, the, the, different, uh, the different ways in which discipline wasn't necessarily there to the extent that you would have liked for it to be, I think Leipold takes care of a lot of that. I think that He's one of those people a lot like, you know, a Nick Saban, and I'm not saying he's Nick Saban, but it's about the process for him and getting better, you know, incrementally every day, 
you know, and really polishing up a, a lot of things. And so I think that's sort of the argument for him is is the fact that he brings a lot of sort of those old, and I'm not saying he's old, but he brings a lot of those sort of old school football coach tendencies to, you know, what, uh, to, to a program that quite frankly could maybe use a few more of those. I'm going to be the, the one, the two buzzwords that I'm going to, I'm going to go berserk if I hear again with this <laughs> search is young and energetic. I love when people say, okay, you need someone young and energetic because you just listed off two qualifications that mean absolutely nothing when it comes to winning football. Like I could be, I'm like comparatively speaking, I'm young and energetic. Should I can, I? can I be the? Can I be the new KU football coach? Like I don't care about that at all. And and to me, like the the idea that like KU needs someone to reinvigorate, that is ridiculous to me. I said this on Twitter earlier, Kevin. I think whatever you do, like the guy that you get to be this coach just needs to be a grinder. He needs to be a guy who wants to put the work in, who is not worried about outside opinions, who is not worried about going viral on social media, who is not worried about uh, getting rims on his Escalade or putting lights under his desks to, uh, to impress recruits. Like, it just needs to be a guy who can come in, establish a culture, put the work in, teach these kids how to work. And that's why I've said multiple times throughout this process, I know you, I just made you make the arguments for one over another, <laughs> but I think KU fans should be thrilled if KU lands either Leipold or Munkin because I think both of them would be the most qualified head coach that KU's hired since Mangino. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think that both of them are, are tremendous hires, and it's funny because neither one of the two were, were my favorite heading into the process, but one of the things that we've talked about you know on this show specifically is you don't know until you get in the room right like resume should only take you so far mm-hmm. where you get a feel for somebody and whether they're the right fit and and whether they can win at Kansas that's something you determine when you're in the room when you're sitting down with the coach looking him in the eye and he's giving you his plan for Kansas football and so uh, i thought you know heading into the process both of them were, were really potentially good hires. Neither one was, was my number one, like, starting out. But at the same time, both of them were the types of people and types of coaches that you really hoped would be there at the end, right? Because the one thing you didn't want was to get to this point, have, say, three coaching candidates, one of them's Charlie Weiss, and your Kansas football playing roulette in a game where historically every bullet has been loaded in the gun. And so I think that uh, I think to come out with, with, you know, potentially a top two of those candidates is really strong. And I'm with you on the whole young and energetic thing. It's it's kind of like, you know, I, I had talked about on Twitter and I know, Nick, you were involved with some of that, too, about how everybody wants Kansas football to have a gimmick. Right. You know, whether it's triple option, you know, Andy Staples has talked about. You know, Kansas needs to go for it on every single fourth down. Here's, you know, a coach who does that. Except, no, Kansas doesn't need a gimmick. Kansas needs to evaluate talent well. They need to recruit that talent well. And that's not saying, you know, go out and land a class full of four stars or anything like that. It's finding the guys who can play at Kansas and recruiting those guys and getting them to Lawrence. Then it's developing those guys and putting them in a position to succeed. And I know that that doesn't sound complex at all, 
But that's the point. You know, everybody says that Kansas needs a gimmick to win. Well, it's not like Kansas has tried everything else and hasn't been winning, right? Yeah. Like, it's it's not like Kansas has had Nick Saban and has been losing anyway, and you think, okay, we've run out of all of our cards. We really just need to throw something against the wall and make it stick. No. They need to be a disciplined, well-coached football team that lands the players who can win at Kansas and then develops them. That's it. That's the formula. And I think that, you know, either of those two coaches, I think, fit that formula pretty well. Well said. That's Kevin Flaherty, 247sports.com. Kevin, great stuff as always. I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot, Nick. Quick shout-out to all of our sponsors, RCST Trivia, 23rd Street Brewery, Sporting Kansas City, Pella Windows, Toppling Goliath, CBD of Lawrence, River Rat, Print and Skate, Jayhawk Trophy, Hawaiian Bros, and the Lawrence Public Library. Our first matchup today brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Open for dine-in, carry-out, and catering. Outdoor patio is a great spot to enjoy the warm weather. Try the Bill Self Mac and Cheese, the Haney Turkey Stack, or any of the great menu items. And don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery's beer, which you can get to go as well with their crowlers. Yesterday was... Probably the best day of RCST trivia to date because we had some really good matchups, and that's kind of what we were expecting after a couple stinkers in the second week of the round one matchup. So I hope that trend continues. Day two, round of 32. Everybody who wins this week, moving on to the sizzling 16. Yes, that is trademarked. And yes, you start to rack up those prizes. So everybody who wins this week is getting $20 to CBD of Lawrence as well as a custom RCST t-shirt. If you have a t-shirt from last year and you're like, I already got one, no, you don't. These ones are different, okay? We changed up the design. You're welcome. That's priceless, by the way. You can't put a price tag on those because you can't buy them anywhere. All right, first matchup of the day coming to us from the West region, a 3-6 matchup, a very chalky matchup between the three-seed Alex and the six-seed Ben. Alex made it all the way to the Sweet 16 a year ago. Had a bit of a gauntlet. I think he was telling us before we got started here, Alex, what went seven rounds last year, the uh, the matchup that ended up knocking you out? Yep, I think so. It was at least six or seven. Do you remember the question? Yeah, it was something from the 90s about, mm. like, Purdue, big man or something like that. Do you feel – do you feel uh, – like you have a chip on your shoulder this year. You get to the Sweet 16. You had the, the Final Four in your sights. Got knocked out in a really tough matchup. Like, what's your sort of mindset this time around? Yeah, a little bit for sure. Trying to bounce back after that tough loss last year. Trying to make it further this year. Final Four, hopefully. There you go. Well, your competitor didn't make it out of the first round last year, but we brought this up last week on the air. I love seeing the guys and the people who didn't do well the first year come back and all of a sudden they look like a force to be reckoned with. Ben, you had a really strong performance in your first round matchup. Do you feel like the pressure amplifying? Do you feel like this is kind of more in line with what you thought you'd be doing? Yeah, uh, I definitely feel the pressure. I was trying to eat lunch before this, and I I, I couldn't really concentrate. And I wow. was like, I'm just ready to roll. I'm ready to play some trivia. I love that. I love the nervous energy. Well, guys, take a deep breath. You've already made it this far, so clearly worthy competitors. You guys know the deal by now. The only thing that's going to be different from your first-round matchup to today 
is that we have removed those really easy questions, those layups, who is Allen Fieldhouse named after, who is Kansas's coach. You guys don't need those ones. So we have taken them off the list. But everything else is going to be exactly the same. The questions are still going to get more progressively difficult. You're just going to be starting from a slightly more difficult jump-off point. You still have 30 seconds to answer. Your clock still begins. When I get done asking the question, you're going to hear a ding if you get one right. You're going to hear a buzzer if you get one wrong. I'll give you a five-second warning. When you have five seconds left, you're going to hear this ticking sound. Make sure you get that answer off. A little bit of a trend developing over the last couple of days. People not saying anything. Say something. Give yourself a chance. Even if you don't know, throw something out there and uh, give yourself a shot in the dark. All right, guys. Alex, Ben, you guys ready to do this? Let's do it. All right, Ben. Six seed. You have the option of answering first or second. Which do you choose? I like going second, actually. My my brain starts flowing, so I'll go go second. Okay. So, Alex, that means first question is for you. Alex, what opponent, led by All-American Obi Toppin, did Kansas defeat in overtime to win the Maui Invitational Championship in 2019? I was actually at this game, Dayton. Wow. Made it all the way out to Maui. Derek, you were there too, right? You guys should have grabbed a beer together or something. Yeah, I had my my post-wedding celebration. I'm sure your wife loved that. No, she actually did. Okay, cool. I guess Hawaii is a pretty good selling point. Yeah. All right, Ben, question number one for you. The year before, in 2018, Kansas won the NIT preseason tournament by beating what SEC opponent led by Grant Williams in overtime? That would be Tennessee. That would be Tennessee. Good job, guys. One for one, each of you. Moving on to the second round of questions. Dedrick went off. Dedrick did go off in that game. I think that was, was that the last game that we saw Dedrick and Doak play together? I was going to say, I think Doak... uh... That was, was like the, the big yeah. moment. That Tennessee team was really good. They're like, nah, you know, at that point, yeah. they, they can't be beaten. Season didn't quite end that way. <laughs> All right. Back to you now, Alex. Alex, what 13 seed did Kansas defeat in the 2019 NCAA tournament's first round before they lost to Auburn in round two? Northeastern. Northeastern is correct. Ben, question number two. After beating Penn in the 2018 NCAA tournament first round, KU defeated who in the second round by a score of 83 to 79? You said the 2018 tournament, right? 2018 second round. Yep. Seton Hall. Seton Hall. What was that big boy's name? Angel Delgado. Baller. And then they had that one guy. Was it Kadeen Carrington? The guy was hitting every three at the end of the game. I don't know. Is that going to be a question? You got any Kadeen Carrington questions on here? (laughs) All right. Great job, guys. Two for two. Love what I'm hearing. Now we're going on to the hard section of questioning. Let's, let's, uh, Let's dim the lights a little bit. Let's change the mood. This is what it's all about, man. Get into these hard questions. In the second round, RCST Trivia. We got a 3-6 matchup here from the West Region. Alex and Ben duking it out. Question number three, Alex. In the 2002 NCAA Tournament first round, Kansas trailed at halftime to their 16-seed opponent, but they would come back to win that game. Who were they playing? Holy Cross. 
That one was tough. I remember I was watching that one with like my aunts and uncles. Like, Katie's gonna lose. <laughs> no, they're not. It's a 16 seed. Come on. All right, Ben. Question number three for you. The very next season in the 2003 NCAA tournament first round, Kansas was pushed to the limit by their 15 seed opponent, but they would end up winning that game 64 to 61. Who'd they play? Utah State. Wow. Wow. Here we go. Here we go. I wouldn't have gotten that one. I would have gotten the, the, the Holy Cross one. But I just remember, I don't remember the guy's name. It was like this big lumbering white dude on Utah State that gave him all kinds of fits. Had like oh, what, 20 a, and 15. what a surprise. I know, right? Utah State has a big white boy. All right. We are now moving into the most difficult section of questions. It's a select few who have even been able to get any of these right. Could this be where our victor is separated? Alex. Question number four for you. In 2015, Kansas won the World University Games in Korea. What player from SMU did they add to the team for the World University Games? His first name is Nick. And... It's, I think it's it's Woods something, Woodson, it's something like that. Is that your final answer? Sure, yeah, final answer. You got the first name right, Alex. It was Nick, last name Moore. So you got the two O's too. You got the Nick and you knew it was See, the last I was name. Charlie Moore. I kept thinking Charlie Moore for some reason. Yeah, you got the two O's, but it was Nick Moore. SMU, I believe that was when Larry Brown was the coach. Did his buddy Bill Faber. All right, Ben. So if you can get this right, you're moving on to the next round. Ben, that same year, 2015, World University Games in Korea, KU also added a player from Florida Gulf Coast. What was his name? Florida Gulf Coast. Would have been one of Joe Dooley's boys. The SMU guy was the point guard, small guy, number three. Florida Gulf Coast guy. Would have been a wing. I don't, I don't know their name. I don't know why Alex comes to mind. Maybe that's I'm looking at my competitor's name. I don't think that's anywhere close to it. That player's name, Ronald. <laughs> Julian DeBose. Julian DeBose. And you're correct. That was a Joe Dooley player. Julian DeBose. All right. You guys are both still alive. I remember looking at these questions when we got started. I said, I don't know. I don't think anybody's getting these. Nick Moore was good. I remember afterwards, they were like, KU could use a guy like him. All right. You guys are both alive. And we're going to stick with the question here from the very difficult tier. Alex, back to you. Second chance. Since the start of the Big 12, which KU big man and former National Player of the Year candidate has the most career fouls? 
I think it has to be Nick Collison. That is correct. Wow, Dele dramatic delay on the correct answer, ding. Yeah, Nick Collison, it's a simple math game, right? Got to, you gotta have played for four years, gotta have played a lot of games. Nick Collison checks both those boxes. Okay, Ben. This guard that played for Kansas in the 1970s holds the program record for most career free throws made. Who is it? First guess would be Bud Stallworth, but I don't know if that's right. 70s. Dave Rubish was a big man. You said it was a guard. Correct. Could have been Roger Morning. Could have been Roger Morningstar. Most free throws by a guard. Roger Morningstar. Mm. No. Ben, the correct answer was Darnell Valentine. Darnell Valentine. Oh. Holds the school record, and that's tough because I think if you're, if I'm saying 70s guards, KU, there's two names that you're probably always going to gravitate towards, and you said one of them, Bud Stallworth, but the guy who would probably be on top of him just because of uh, the career numbers, the accolades, would be Darnell Valentine. Like you're talking about, uh, you know, before the the Roy Williams and Bill Self era, like he's probably the guard that you sort of go to, but. I know you were tossing a lot of names around in your head. Roger Morningstar was the one that you settled on. It kind of felt like you were just making sure you threw something out there. Not a lot of certainty there. Yeah, I thought I heard the little tick, tick, tick. And so I'm like, I better say something. Stop debating your head. Mm -hmm. I, I should have known Valentine because he's all-time steals leader for KO. So I should have known he would have been on there. So that's frustrating. Ben, it was a, a really solid performance. I mean, you went two rounds deep here into the very hard tier of questioning. This came up again yesterday, right? It came up where you got a great matchup. It goes deep. Somebody's got to lose. Ben, that happens to be you. How, how are you feeling right now after the loss? Dejected, if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like my strategy of going second didn't didn't work like I, I thought it was going to. But uh, it, it, it happens. Um, I'll be cheering for my wife. I think she plays later today. So, uh Go Leslie, and hopefully one of us can redeem the family name. Would you have gotten the Nick Collison question? Would you have gotten the career free throw I, or the career foul question? I would have, and that, I mean that helps. I'm I'm 30, so Nick Collison would have been in my in my prime right like, in that wheelhouse years. So yeah, uh, these were a little out, out of my depth, but I should have known that. That that's no excuse. I should have known that. Alex, you you hit the Nick Collison one pretty early. You didn't take much time to think about it. Would you have gotten the next question? Would you have gotten the Darnell Valentine one? Uh, I didn't know the answer, but I think I would have guessed him, but I, I really don't know. It's no, easy I'm to say now. Those old ones. <laughs> yeah. Easy to say now. Um, you were battle tested today, Alex. You were up against it there. When you missed Absolutely. when yeah. you missed the Nick Moore question, did you think it was over? Kind of until you asked him the same question about the Florida Gulf Coast kind of <laughs> I was like, I don't I don't think anyone knows that. <laughs> yeah, those were tough ones. Those were tough ones, but uh you pulled it out. Got the win, and you're back in the sizzling 16, Alex, for the second straight year. So you got to feel pretty proud of yourself. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to be back, but ready to go further this year. Well, congratulations to you, Alex. Ben, great performance. Thanks. You fought to the bitter end. You gave us a great matchup here on day two 
of the round of 32. So, Ben, thank you. I hope you're going to be back again next year because clearly worthy of a spot here in this tournament. Same to you, Alex. Guys, thank you so much. Down on it. Good job, Alex. Yep, thank you. Thanks, guys. RCST Trivia brought to you by Toppling Goliath with a brewery and tap room located in Decorah, Iowa. Toppling Goliath features 10 of the top 250 beers in the world, according to Beer Advocate. That also includes three of the top 10, three of the top 10 world beers, and six of the top 100. If you're not going to be making it up to Decorah anytime soon, don't worry. You can order Toppling Goliath apparel and beer at tgbrews.com. Everybody who wins in the second round of RCST Trivia and makes it into the sizzling 16 is going to win a $20 gift card to CBD of Lawrence, as well as an RCST t-shirt, which, as we all know, you cannot possibly put a price tag on. Matchup number two today comes to us from the South region. A little unconventional here. A 6-14 matchup in round two of RCST Trivia, and we've got some guys who went about their first-round wins in unique fashion. Andrew, uh, our only second-round competitor who made it to the second round without technically, well, I guess technically he, he defeated someone, although that person didn't even get asked a question. As He's you, the organ, right? What? He's the organ. Yeah, right. You know, against exactly. PCU. Automatic advancement, even though I did to, uh, make him tell me well, what position Joel Embiid plays. Andrew... Doesn't really feel like you were tested in round one. How you feeling here before this matchup? You know, uh, I wasn't tested, but, you know, after looking at some film, after kind of evaluating yeah. some things with the coaching staff, it, it does feel like, you know, this, especially this region, uh, it's completely wide open. So, you know, you can't take any opponent lightly. You can't uh, sit there and assume you just got to go out there and play the game. I think that's the new record. I think that's the new record for most cliches, most coach speak given <laughs> in one answer. So uh, already already setting records here on RCSD Trivia, Andrew. Great job. 14 seed, Zach, pulled off a huge upset in round one. And Zach, you admitted as much. You were kind of on the ropes early. You stumbled with that first question, maybe some nerves, but you got past it and the rest was smooth sailing from there. So how do you feel now ahead of your second round matchup? I, I feel good. <clears throat> you know, we we um, we got over the hill, so to speak, calm the nerves, and uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing what we can do. I like that very business-like approach. Well, Andrew, Zach, I'm excited to see what you guys have in store for us here in this second-round matchup. The only thing that's going to be different from the first round to today, no more easy questions. We've removed the layups because we don't think you guys need them. But everything else is the same. As you guys answer questions correctly... They will. The questions will get more progressively difficult. There's just only four difficulty tiers now instead of five. But everything else is the same. You guys both answer it right. We move on to a more difficult set of questions. You both answer it wrong. I'll just give you another set of questions from that same level. You still have 30 seconds to answer. Your timer starts as soon as I get done asking the question. We'll still give you a five-second warning when you hear this ticking. Hurry up. Give me something. Otherwise, automatically incorrect. Ah! All right, Zach, let's get it going. You're the 14 seed, the underdog. I give you the option once again to answer first or second. Which do you choose? I'll go first. Okay, Zach, let's go. Here's your first question. Zach, what four-year starting power forward from 2000 to 2003 for KU has his number four jersey hanging in the fieldhouse rafters after he led Kansas to back-to-back final fours? Nick Collison. 
Nick Collison is correct. One of the best to ever do it at Kansas. All right, Andrew, question number one for you. Another big man played for KU from 2009 to 2011. He won Big 12 Player of the Year to go with All-American Second Team Honors in 2011. He has his number 22 jersey retired in the fieldhouse. Just happened in 2020. Who is he? Oh, God. Um, Jesus. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yeah, completely wrong. Mm. Completely, completely Family wrong. Family program. I'm glad Marcus. we're not live. Yeah, Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris was the answer yeah. we were looking for. Does yeah. that ring a bell, Andrew? Complete, complete, complete meltdown. Complete meltdown. Uh, didn't have it today. <sighs> yeah, it happens. That was the equivalent of a team coming out and shooting <laughs> yeah, no. 33s and missing 27 of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, Zach, congratulations. As soon as he, as soon as you, he talked about retired numbers, in my head, I'm just going through all the retired numbers mm, yeah. in Allen Fieldhouse. And by about 2005, complete blank. Yeah. Just complete blank. It happens, man. And I don't know, maybe it's not a big enough sample size to draw this conclusion, but do you feel like, the fact that you didn't get a lot of reps in the first round may be attributed to stumbling here in the second round. Oh, absolutely. That and I like took a nap like five <laughs> minutes before. Come so on. yeah. Everybody knows you don't take yeah, a nap no, before com- competition. Completely, completely unprepared. Yeah, those pregame naps, man. You feel sluggish, a little bit of brain fog. It's a big no-no. Everybody knows that. You don't take a nap before yeah. an RCST trivia matchup. Well, Zach, you didn't even have to break a sweat. Now you're moving on to the sizzling 16. That's got to feel pretty good, man. I feel good. I, I was. I, I thought he was trying to choose between Marcus or Keith, and I got lucky. Complete blank. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're honest about it, and you can always tell. You can always tell when someone's blanking because those phrases – that you repeated over and over again. Geez, oh my. Like the oh my is like, oh, he's not getting it. He all he's thinking about now is the fact that he doesn't know the answer. I hate to see it, but that's, you know. The the reason why winning feels so good, Andrew, is because losing feels so bad. It's it you know what? It does suck, and I'm going to, you know, just completely drown my sorrows and eat some Wendy's like sad urban Meyer. So uh, cry in uh, the hopefully car. that goes uh, viral soon. Crying in the car, shoving chicken nuggets oh, yeah. into oh, your yeah. mouth. Yep. Yep. Cope in your hey, own hey, ways, those man. Those spicy chicken nuggets are amazing. They are. They are. So I don't blame you. Hey, do whatever you've got to take to uh, to get over this one. <laughs> hey, Andrew, we appreciate you, man. Congratulations, Zach. Yeah, Zach, congrats. Thanks, we'll uh, we'll be seeing you in the, in the next round, man. All right. Thank you, guys. RCST Trivia is brought to you by Sporting Kansas City. MLS is back. After finishing at the top of the Western Conference last season, Sporting Kansas City is ready to take the field and paint the wall this year. 
And if you haven't heard, Sporting Kansas City will be welcoming a limited capacity crowd again this season. To watch Sporting Kansas City live and in person this year, go to SeatGeek.com slash SKC. And because you're a listener of Rock Chalk Sports Talk, use the code SKCRCST at checkout to get an exclusive discount on tickets. Again, use the code SKCRCST at checkout and receive an exclusive discount for our listeners at checkout. We'll see you at Children's Mercy Park. All right, we got two more matchups today in round two of our CST trivia. Everybody who wins this week, everybody who makes it to the Sizzling 16, starting to rack up those prizes, $20 gift card to CBD of Lawrence, and a custom RCST t-shirt. Well, it's custom in that we made it, right? It's not custom for you. We, next year, let's put let's put their names on the backs, right? That way we have something to add. All right. Coming to us from the Midwest region, a 5-4 matchup between Kyle and Kevin. Both these guys were in our CST trivia a year ago. Both of them returned, and both of them now with a shot. At the sizzling 16, Kevin is the four seed in the Midwest region. Kevin, How's the last week been for you? How you feeling here ahead of this next one? I didn't really get much of a test the first round, so I, I'm just hoping I get questions I can handle. Well, you know that's been a that's been a theme. We just heard a guy who wasn't tested in the first round. His opponent slipped up, and he didn't fare well. I'm not saying you're going to suffer the same fate that he did, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you've been getting your reps in, Kevin. Hopefully there's no uh, rust you need to I, knock I, off. Hard to say. I could be the next big fail or I could be moving <laughs> on. Well, you're going to be going up against a five seed in the Midwest region. Kyle also was in it a year ago. Kyle, you did well in your first round matchup. Now with a shot at the Sweet 16. Um, now that you get that first round win, is there less pressure in the second round that you've got that monkey off your back, so to speak? You know, it'd be less pressure if I didn't have a, uh, I've had a two week wait. It's been a couple of weeks for me now. So the pressure is built up a little bit. So we're going to see what can happen with it, but uh, excited to uh, see what questions we got. And like I mentioned, every time it's all about the matchups and the questions and just see where it goes from there. So I hadn't considered that, right? You always talk about, you know, KU schedules UTEP at the end of the season. You want to get that extra game in. you want to stay fresh in tournament mode. I hadn't considered the fact that, you know, rust builds up for some of these people who have had to wait a couple of weeks. We'll see if that's the case for you, Kyle. Kevin, only one big difference from your first-round matchup is that we've done away with the really easy questions, but everything else is the same. The questions will still get more progressively difficult as you guys answer them correctly and move throughout the rounds. You still have 30 seconds to answer. We're still going to give you a five-second warning. When you hear that, you got five seconds left. Say something, right? Go down swinging. If you're going to miss, at least go down swinging. Don't go out looking because that's not going to make you feel good if it ends up being the question that knocks you out. Guys, do you have any questions for me before we get this thing going? Nope. All right, Kyle, as the five seed, you are a narrow underdog. You're about a half a point underdog, so you've got the option of answering first or second. I will go second. All right, so Kevin... This first question is for you, Kevin. What KU player won Big 12 Player of the Year in 2020? Yudoka Azabuki. Yudoka Azabuki is correct. 
Maybe you took a little extra second to think, was it Yudoka or was it Devon? Because they were both really good. But or Dot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. you got it. You got it. Yudoka Azubuki is correct. All right, Kyle, question number one for you. In the 2018-2019 season, what KU big man averaged a double-double en route to an all-Big 12 season despite Kansas not winning the Big 12? Dietrich Lawson. That's right. I wonder if that's going to go down as a forgotten season because it was the team that broke the streak. I hope not because that was a really impressive year from Dietrich. All right, Kevin, back to you for question number two. Kevin, Bill Self's biggest loss at Kansas was a 34-point drubbing by this team from the Pac-12. Who's USC? Who is USC? That's right. The most recent game was the worst loss. What is? Yep. All right, Kyle. Question number two for you. Prior to that USC loss in the tournament this past year, the biggest loss for Bill Self at Kansas was a 32-point loss to this team from the SEC. I was hoping this was vodka, but it's uh, Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you're at work, Kyle, so... Don't say that too loud or maybe, maybe somebody's going to overhear you. All right. <laughs> that is correct. The infamous vodka press conference from Bill Self after the uh, – that was Champions Classic, right? Ugly. Ugly game. All right. Two for two. Great job, guys. Kevin, going back to you now for your third question. Let's, uh, let's change the vibe up here a little bit because things are getting tense. I love it when we get into these hard questions here. Round two, RCST trivia between Kevin – and Kyle, Kevin, question number three. Kansas lost to Michigan in the 2013 Sweet 16. Trey Burke hit the big shot that everybody remembers, but this Wolverines big man logged 25 points and 14 rebounds in a breakout tournament. I can picture the guy. I am drawing a total blank. Um, I'm going to say, I know it's not right. Mo Wagner. The man's name was Mitch McGarry. Mitch McGarry. That's right. Mitch was, was the big man. Oh, yep. Didn't he get punched in the. Uh, he did. I don't know if it was a punch or a region. slap or a knock. Right in the groin, yeah, by Elijah Johnson. Ended up getting drafted in the lottery, I think, because of that tournament run. Thanks a lot, Kansas. All right, Kyle, you get this right. You're moving on to the sizzling 16. Kyle, the leading scorer of the 2008 NCAA tournament, the entire tournament, was also Memphis's leading scorer for the season. Who was it? I mean, I'm just going to go with the easy answer. It's either going to be one or two, but I'm going to say Derek Rose. Who was the other one that you were thinking? CDR. CDR. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's forgotten is that as good as Derek Rose was that season, 
It was Chris Douglas Roberts as the leading scorer, 18 points a game. Derrick Rose, 14 points per game. I'd probably take the longevity of Derrick Rose's career, but yeah. Okay. You guys are both still alive. Kevin, you got second chance. Let's see what you do with it. Kevin, your next question. In 2011, Kansas would go on to the Elite Eight where they would lose to VCU. But that season, they had no issues with their first-round opponent. It was a 16 seed, and they won that game 72-53. to Who did they play? I want to say Western Kentucky. Correct answer is Boston. Boston University. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. But I think a lot of people look back on that year and they say, oh, what a golden path you had to the Final Four. Yeah. Because they didn't play any single-digit seeds, right? Yeah, I mean, also, this could be a question later, but uh, Western Kentucky would be the answer for one of their first-round games. Mm. Mm. And a similar color scheme, if I uh, if I recall. All right, Kyle, once again, you got the kill shot right in front of you. Can you get the job done? Here's your question. The year before that, in 2010, Kansas was upset in the second round of the NCAA tournament. But prior to that loss, Marcus Morris went for 26-10 to lead KU to their first round win over what 16 seed? I'm going to say you guys are tricky, but uh, Western Kentucky. <laughs> We're not that tricky. We are tricky, but not quite that tricky. The correct answer, Kyle, Lehigh University. You may remember had uh, future NBA star C.J. McCollum, now with the Portland Trailblazers, on that team. All right, guys, take a deep breath, okay? Take a deep breath. You guys have both missed two in a row here, but you're both still alive. And what we're going to do now, since you both missed two in a row, I'm taking you back, okay? I'm sending you back to, I don't know, you were in fourth grade, now you're back in third grade, okay? Let's go over those timetables once again and see if we can move you on. All right, Kevin, here you go. Kevin, what's the name of the Northern Iowa guard who led the team with 16 points and hit a dagger three against Kansas in the 2010 second round? Uh, I'll butcher it, but it's Ali Farouk Manash. That's pretty good. Farouk Manash, Farouk Manash, it's all the same, but that is correct. That's a difficult name that will live in infamy for a lot of KU fans. All right, Kevin. Way to get off the schneid, Kyle. Let's see if you can do the same. Kyle, what's the name of the Michigan guard who scored 23 points and tied the game on a deep three at the end of regulation in the Wolverines' 2013 Sweet 16 win over Kansas? Uh, Trey Burke. Trey Burke is correct. All right. There you go. You guys are back on the train. Let's see if you can make it a streak. Who wants to win? Who wants this? You know? If one of you guys wants to bow out now, that's fine too. You, you can throw in the towel if you want. There's no shame in that. 
Nobody's going to judge you. I'm just kidding. We would absolutely judge you if you did that. All right, Kevin, back to you. <laughs> Kevin, Larry Brown's first season saw Kansas lose in the second round of the 1984 NCAA tournament to this four seed. Wichita State. Got the right letter. Wake Forest. Wake Forest was the four seed that knocked Kansas out in 84. Kyle, you get this right, you're moving on. In 1986, Kansas went to the Final Four. What team did they beat in the Elite Eight that season? On Wichita State. In 1986, Kansas defeated NC State. They were down big at halftime. Alonzo Jameson went off in the second half and brought Kansas back to a big win. Okay, guys. Wait, somebody's got to win. We'll stay here all day if we need to. But I'm not leaving this Zoom chat until one of you guys... Is moving on to the sizzling 16. I like it. This is a defensive showdown is what this is. This is like a Big Ten game that's in triple overtime, and it's still 49 to 46. But that's okay. Different styles. Somebody's got to win out. Kevin, going back again. We're going back again. Kevin, what round did Kansas make it to in the 2004 NCAA tournament? for Bill Self's first season coaching the Jayhawks. The second round. In 2004, Bill Self's first season at Kansas, KU made it all the way to the Elite Eight, where they would lose in overtime to Georgia Tech. (laughs) And Georgia Tech went on to... uh, I think they were the runner-up that year, right? To yep. UConn with uh, Jared Jack. That's right. Who could remember? Who could forget Jared Jack? Okay. Kyle, back to you once again. You got a chance to end this once and for all. To make it to the national championship game in 2012, what opponent did Kansas defeat in the Final Four? Ohio State. Ohio State is correct and it's over folks we have our winner kyle moving on to the sizzling 16 i know both of you guys are exhausted right now probably emotionally drained maybe physically drained kyle uh maybe you do need to go have a shot of vodka after that performance how are you feeling you know what uh the rust was there once we hit that third round that got a little tricky there but uh excited to be moving on and like you said, it was a defensive battle. Nobody was scoring, but we were we were blocking. That those were tough questions. <laughs> those were some really tough questions in the hard. And, and sometimes, you know, people try to compare it. Well, the guy yesterday had questions that were harder than me. It's all about the guy you're going up against. And while those were those were tough, some of the tougher ones, I don't think there was a distinction between either of the questions that you guys were getting. And they were they were tricky. Um, Kevin, I know that was tough, man. 
to have to grind that out and and you're going home a little bit early. How are you feeling after the loss? Drained, like you <laughs> said. So had my opportunities and did, just didn't couldn't close it. Well, you guys both fought to the very bitter end and uh, nothing to hang your head about, Kevin. Great performance. We were happy to have you back. Thank you so much, Kyle. Congratulations, my man. Go take a load off, and we'll see you in the sizzling 16. Thanks, fellas. We'll catch you later. RCSD Trivia is brought to you by Pella Windows. Pella Product of Kansas is your one-stop shop for all your window and door needs. Pella offers everything from turnkey window and door replacements to experts in the field that can work with your contractor and find the perfect solution for that project to make your house feel like a home. Whether you're building a home, taking on a remodeling project, or simply want the best replacement solution, Pella Windows has all your answers. Stop by the newly remodeled showroom on the northwest corner of 6th and Wakarusa or call 785-749-4808. Don't hesitate. Appointments are filling up fast. Wow, we've had some long matchups today. We had one short one, but then we had two absolute juggernaut of matchups. And one of them was because everybody was getting everything right. One of them was because both guys were getting everything wrong. Either way, I'm here for the competition. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if it's ugly. I'm just here to watch it all play out. And we've got another matchup, which Derek has dubbed, I mean, the West region. What'd you call it? The region of death, right? Yeah, it's the bracket of death. I, I mean, mean, you've got yeah. you've got some competitors. Some all of like I don't know if there's anybody in the West region still alive who I don't think could go on to win it all. I think there's people who have lost in the second round Absolutely. of the West region that could have won another region. Absolutely. But that's just the way the bracket falls, right? You got if you got a problem, take it up with the committee. Maybe just move so you're <laughs> a little Eastern. Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. Take care of business in the regular season. Get better get better draws. I think both of these competitors fit that billing. The four five matchup from the West region. We've got Brian taking on Leslie. Either one of these. Either one of these competitors could go on to represent the West region in the fin- phenomenal four, whatever we're calling it. I can't remember. I just know it's not the final four. Leslie is the five seed, and I don't know how she's feeling right now because I know she's a supportive wife, and her husband had a tough one. He had a tough one to start us off today. Been eliminated in the second round in one of the best matchups that we've had. Leslie, have you had a chance to talk to Ben? What have those conversations been like? So um, he, I'm, I'm at home. He's in the office, and all I got was a text. It was maybe it like went um, a little bit like you mentioned earlier, but. It had been about 20 minutes or so since I knew his um, time slot was and all it was was lost. <laughs> so <laughs> I think he's taken it yeah. a little hard. Um, he he didn't share um, anything other than um, hope I can redeem the family name. So, yeah. so we'll see. But I know I've got a great matchup and competitor in Brian. Yeah. You know, he told us as much, too. I asked, him, I asked him how he felt. He said dejected. And I think you do have a really strong competitor and Brian, both you guys were in this a season ago, and I believe you both made it to the second round, if I remember correctly, and you're both looking to get past the elusive second round, make it into the sizzling 16, start collecting some of those prizes. Brian, you got you got that first round win, which I think a lot of times is the biggest one. We see it in the NCAA tournament all the time. A team will be up against the ropes, against some mid-major team, they win, and then all of a sudden they start to roll. Is that how you're feeling today? Let's hope so. I mean, the tournament is just one of those wild card things. You never know 
what you're going to get, you know, until you get there. Hopefully, my momentum will keep me going. So we'll see. I hope rust isn't a factor. That got brought up in the last matchup. People wonder, okay, if I, I've had to sit out for two weeks, I'm a little bit rusty. Hopefully, that's not the case. Brian, Leslie, I hope you guys have been getting your reps in because you're going to need it here for this second-round matchup. The only thing different from your first-round matchup is no more easy, no more really easy questions, no more of those layups. So we only have four difficulty levels of questions because, quite frankly, I don't think you guys need those layups anymore. But everything else is the same. You still have 30 seconds to answer. We're still going to give you a five-second warning. You'll hear this ticking sound when you got five seconds left. Make sure you get an answer off. Don't say nothing. You know, give yourself a chance. Throw out Wilt Chamberlain. Throw out Danny Manning. You'll probably have a pretty good shot if you just guess one of those two. All right, Brian, Leslie, you guys ready to do this? Let's do it. Good luck, Leslie. You too. All right, Leslie, you're the five seed, so you have the option of answering first or second. Which would you choose? I'll go first. Let's get these jitters out of the way. Okay. Rip the Band-Aid off, Leslie. First question. What season was the last time that the Kansas men's basketball team had a week in which they were unranked? Oh, goodness. Um, would it be the 2020-2021? That is correct. This past season. <laughs> yeah, a little bit tricky. See, it's like you, the answer's right under your nose. You know, we had a question in the last one. What was the biggest loss in, K- in Bill Self's time at Kansas? The last one against USC like a month ago. But yes, that is correct. This past season, the last time that KU was unranked. All right, Brian, question number one for you. How many times has a Bill Self-coached Kansas team failed to reach 20 or more wins in a single season? Failed to reach 20 or more wins so in less a single than 20, season? Yeah, less than 20 wins. I don't think that's happened. That has not happened. Those are tricky first questions. Those are tricky. Derek's, Derek gets tricky with some of these because, I mean, in reality, they are easy questions, but also you can kind of talk yourself out of it and be like, is he really asking me a question? That's yeah, those happened? ones make you doubt yourself. Uh-huh. But, hey, great uh-huh. job by both you guys. Not psyching yourself out of the answers. You guys had it. Next round of questioning. Leslie, back to you. Leslie, what ACC opponent did Kansas defeat in the 2018 Sweet 16 en route to a Final Four appearance? Clemson. That is correct. I remember before that game, people were trying to talk themselves into the idea that Clemson was going to win that. That was another one where, I mean, they just dominated them early, and then it was like Seton Hall. They just went on this barrage at the end that Mm -hmm. uh, Gabe DeVoe, that was the guy's name. Yeah, that's right. All right. Question number two for you, Brian. What ACC opponent did Kansas defeat in the 2012 Sweet 16 en route to a title game appearance? I was at that game. Mm. North Carolina State. North Carolina State is correct. That was an ugly game. That was a very ugly game. But hey, just like just like that last matchup we had in RCST trivia, I don't care if it's ugly. Get the job done. Move on. All right, you guys are two for two. Last matchup of the day. I feel like we're going to end it 
on a high note, this has the chance to be the best day of RCST trivia maybe we've ever had. Let's find out. Leslie, question number three for you. In 1994 and 1995, Kansas suffered losses in the Sweet 16. In 1994, it came to a one seed. In 1995, it came to a four seed. Name one of the two teams they lost to. Um, so I would have been two. I'm going to go. I'm just going to go with the Duke. <laughs> One of them was from the ACC, Virginia <laughs> and Purdue, Virginia and Purdue. That's right. We get into these harder <laughs> questions. We're asking you to, to go back in the time machine a little bit. Okay, Brian. So if we you, hate Duke. So yeah, we, I know Duke also <laughs> in line with also in line with Danny Manning and Will Chamberlain. If you're unsure and it's a team question, guess Duke. All right, Brian, if you get this right, you're moving on to the sweet sizzling 16. Brian, in 1996, Kansas made a run to the Elite Eight before losing to this four seed. Syracuse. Wow. That did not take him. Were you, what, were you at that game too? How'd you recall that one so quickly? <laughs> Nah, I've lived through all these, man. That one hurt bad. Really? Hurt. I don't hear that one brought it, up it, often. It, it was, I mean, because you're so close to the final four and mm-hmm. you don't make it. Yep. And it just, it hurt bad. So. so this is probably the clearest example of where just having, there's what you can go do the research, but if you lived through it, it is, it is branded in your brain forever. Yeah. And maybe the the experience, the age factor, played a factor in this one. Leslie, you said it. I mean, when I asked you the 94 and 95, you're like, I was two. So you obviously didn't remember those. Do you feel like just that, that real-time experience <laughs> maybe cost you in this one? Maybe, but, yeah. you know. What are you going to do? A, you if know? I'm a fan, I should, I should know it all. So. Yeah, we'd all like to. <laughs> we'd all like to know it all, but... What are you going to do, right? You can't make yourself older. All you can do is is go back to the drawing board. Yeah. You know, I don't I, – I just hope that maybe this will allow you and your husband, Ben, who also was eliminated today. I mean, I don't want to pile it on the Wilsons because you guys are fantastic. One of my favorite storylines every year in RCST trivia. But, um, you know, maybe this will bring you guys closer together. I mean, I hope we see – I hope this continues to be a storyline every maybe. year. <laughs> I want to see the Wilsons back in RCST trivia in 2022, Okay. We'll be back. And Brian, I will be rooting for you. So good luck. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hope to see you next year.